people who've been working in office-based organizations for the past 10, 15, 20 years, even longer, for them to really feel comfortable and able to collaborate in a non-personal, non-fixed location way, uh, that'll probably take some time still. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Future is Hybrid. I am your host, the hybrid evangelist, Kenneth Hellen. And with, with me in the virtual studio today, I have no other than Christian Lustig from the Netherlands. Hello, welcome to the show. Hi there. Good to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Christian, you probably know this already, but, but do you have any idea what your name means in Swedish, your last name? I suppose it's something along the lines of happy or funny or something along, same as in Dutch and same as in German. It's, it's the same in Dutch as well. Yeah, it is. All it right. Is. So you are Christian funny. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. We're going to have some fun today then. Yeah, I hope we will. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for taking the time um, and for, for coming on the show. Today, we're going to talk about something that I'm very passionate about myself digital employee experience or basically how to function well in a in a virtual world why is this an important topic to you christian because there is hardly any job in the world remaining that doesn't have at least a small part of of digital tools digital element in it and um, improving that experience uh, the employee's experience of those digital tools that's well, that's been my business for the past 15 or 20 years, uh, close to 20 years now, I think. And um, I just love working on that because it involves all types of workers in all types of organizations, all types of tasks. And uh, I'm quite passionate about that. And uh, that's that's my focus. And that's super cool. Christian is, for, for the ones who don't know, uh, the author, uh, the co-author of the Digital Employee Experience. And also yep. a consultant working with this, with, with small and, and large customers. Uh, I'm not going to say throughout the world, but at least throughout Europe, right? Uh, yes, mostly uh, organizations based in the Netherlands or Flanders, so in Belgium. Uh, but they tend to be, uh, every once in a while, they tend to be international organizations as well. Tell me a little about this book. I've always wanted to write a book and, and you already went <laughs> off and did it. I did it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So with my co-author, we, we just found that... Um, what is digital employee experience about? And we felt that the, the, the going definitions were a bit too narrow. So, so we tried to deepen that definition, broaden it a bit. And, um, and that's how you end up with the book apparently. So it, it, it captured our thinking, um, revolving around the employee part, the, the organization part, uh, the technology part as well. And the, and that was the, the interesting bridge to. For us to, to work on hybrid and remote work as well, because at first we weren't really in that space yet. Um, uh, the, the actual physical space where people work and what is the impact of the physical space on how people work with digital tools and vice versa. So those are the outlines of the, um, of the book. And um, yeah, that, it, it was a great experience. I'd written a book before, but on a very different topic. But this was very, very interesting to do. And um, uh, reception was quite good. It hasn't sold by the thousands, not maybe not even by the hundreds, but uh, it, it's great to have your own book on the bookshelf. Well, I'm going to put it in the show notes when we when we launch this episode, and then maybe we we'll hit that thousand number, right? Oh yes, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to go. I'm going to go ahead and order one. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks. So, so you've been working with this topic much longer than the book, obviously, uh, and and the last couple <clears throat> of years, I don't know if you're aware, but there's been a pandemic. 
that has made more and more people work <laughs> from home or, or outside yeah. of the office. Tell me a little about the before and after. Well, the interesting thing before was that um, um, thinking about digital employee experience was, of course, mostly office-based, office workers, knowledge workers, no secrets there. Um, and I think that um, the pandemic did two things. One, uh, cr created a, a, a better emphasis on not just knowledge workers, other types of workers as well. And two, um, removed the office part uh, out of the equation, at least in part. So I think that helped focus on the employee experience part more than just the digital part in the, uh, or the classical office work. So with your fixed uh, cubicles and your fixed desktop uh, machines and uh, uh, the ways of working that we were used to up until early 2020 and, um, uh, and whatnot. So, so uh, but about the first thing I stated, the focus has been and sometimes still is often on um, uh, knowledge workers, people working at desks or having a laptop to take under their arms and work wherever they want um, towards a broader view on what types of workers do we have apart from office workers or knowledge workers and how do, do they deal with digital information, digital comms, digital services in the organization. And I think the... Um, because we were forced to think outside of the office box, so to speak, I think people uh, opened their eyes to, well, there, there's more people than just the folks in the office. There's people driving trucks or, or in warehouses or, or in building sites or working with, with uh, patients in their beds, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to come back to that second part because I think that's, that's interesting. <clears throat> but before we go there, I want to double click and unpack a couple of concepts. Sure. Because <laughs> you mentioned mentioned two things. First, you said digital, mm -hmm. and then you said employee experience. Mm -hmm. um, can you just kind of explain to, to the listeners what we're talking about? Yeah, I think that, um, so, so digital employee experience or DEX, first of all, I think the, the, um, the most used uh, definition of it, it was by James Robertson. He coined it in 2018, and he says that digital employee experience is the sum total of the digital interactions within the work environment. So that was the rather narrow uh, definition that that I worked with also over the past few years, but that uh, Tabita and I felt there, there must be more to it. So we felt that great digital employee experience is indeed the sum total of all digital interactions, but where the needs and the expectations of employees come first. So, so DEX is not just about the digital element. It's not just about the experience element either. It's about the employee part. So DEX is about the employee's experience of the digital interaction. So it's about people. And if you look at the experience part, that could be a bit more subjective. So what are people encountering and undergoing and feeling when, when interacting with digital tools? That's more about the employee. And there's a, a bit more of an objective part. So what is the employee performing and obtaining and achieving. So that's that's a bit more towards the experience bit. So that's that's what I feel that digital employee experience is. Cool. And and that experience part did or the employing, the people part you mentioned, that mm -hmm. is I think that one's key 
in this world that we're entering now? Because we've always focused about employee experience in the office. Mm-hmm. I mean, Google was early with ping pong tables and you could bring right. your dog and the free lunches and the sleeping yep. pods. I've enjoyed all of the above, uh, but that was very much of an in-office thing, right? right. And I think now we're, we're trying to figure out what is employee experience outside of the office. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, a great statement. Not so much a question, I understand. But but yeah, that's. I feel that the, um, the emphasis had... Uh, it it was already moving away from almost always the office prior to the pandemic. The pandemic has accelerated that and we're still somewhat in between. Many organizations feel somewhere in between. Well, we, we have this office. We need to have the office. I'm not saying that people need to get rid of the, their offices. I think there's still room for that for many organizations, at least the ones that I work with. Uh, but we're moving towards what is work instead of the, asking ourselves, where is work? Yes. And I think that goes for digital as well. So the the intranet, the digital workplace, the tool set that you have to support day-to-day work is not just about communicating. It's about collaborating as well. And uh, so far, nothing new, but it's also about digital service. And that I think that's the third part of the digital employee experience that could get some extra TLC. Let, let's, let's take them one by one. Sure. Um, communication. That's, that's your emails, that's your Slack, your chat, maybe your video calls, right? Yes. I tend to look at it uh, from a a bit more of an abstract perspective. So, so communicating the, the act of communicating is something that you do during work. You need to communicate with your, your coworkers, with the boss, with the people in your team or whatever. And, and Slack and email can, and, and all those tools can be used to communicate. But those tools can also be used to collaborate in one way or another. So, so collaborating is also something that you do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a thin line between the two, I think. So what's the Especially difference? these two. And, and I think the difference is um, communicating in organizations is often also used to mean uh, top-down communications. What are the rules? What are the expectations? What are the new plans for this month or this quarter? Um, what happened in, in, in business opportunity X or Y? Uh, what's the news on whatever? So that's part of the communicating equation as well. And, and, and uh, while that's not the most important thing to most people to do the actual work, it's not unimportant either. And then if you look at collaboration, because what I often hear is, <laughs> We haven't figured out how to collaborate outside of the office. P- people have figured out how to communicate. We did, mm-hmm. we did Slack and Zoom calls for two years yeah. and, and people yeah. got tired of that. But absolutely, but, yeah. but the, the saying is we haven't figured out this collaboration thing yet. I disagree, but, but what are your thoughts on collaborating in a digital world? Well, I think that uh, we're uh, uh, quite a long way towards finding out what collaboration in a remote fashion is because there are great examples in the world. Uh, great businesses who've never had an office, probably never will, which is perfectly fine. But for people who've been working in office-based organizations for the past 10, 15, 20 years, even longer, for them to really feel comfortable and able to collaborate in a a, a non-personal, non-fixed location way, uh, that'll probably take some time still. Because there are ways, there are tools, there are methods, there are agreements that you can come to as a team or as a project or as, a, as an organization in order to 
um, really um, free up, free people from the um, ways of working that we were used to, that had their ups and downsides as well, uh, their pros and cons. Um, but I, I think it will still take some time for the average Joe in the average organization to really pick up on that and for their managers to really pick up on that. Maybe that's even more important. <laughs> Probably more important. I mean, I was a management consultant for, for a large period of my career, and I am known to say that I absolutely love whiteboards. And, and when I was home during COVID, that was the thing I missed from the office. Yes, I missed oh, yes. lunches. But, but I missed having a big whiteboard and brainstorming with my colleagues. Yeah, right. What are some best practices you're seeing uh, on successful teams? How are they figuring out collaboration? There are two, maybe three things that I tend to see in my own practice that really help uh, people think about their own ways of working, their own ways of collaborating with their teams and what that might do for their organization. And there are three things that I use in my day-to-day -day practice I didn't come up with them myself. I, I found them online in best practices as well. Uh, started using them. The three things are first, how do I work? What do I do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, what goes well? What goes not so well? Uh, which tools do I prefer and why? Um, and if, if you are more explicit about that towards yourself, you can also be more explicit and, and clear to your coworkers about that as well. And that's like your, your, your personal user manual. Tell, tell me more and, about that. I, I, yeah, I love yeah. the concept of the user manual. I have one myself, but, <laughs> but, but go ahead and share. What does that mean? Um, I think what that means is if you, if you, um, uh, many of the things you do in, in your day-to-day -day work, uh, that's basically autopilot, you know? So you've, you've, you've come accustomed to using certain tools, going about your business in a certain way, doing things in a certain fashion and. Uh, if you look at that from a, from a, from a healthy distance, you can, um, you can then, um, make that more explicit, more concrete, write it down in, in, in one form or another and, and really show, so this is how I work. This is how I work best. This is what, uh, triggers me in a negative way. Perhaps this is how I work in, um, uh, in projects or, or in other fashions, et cetera. And if you, if you write that down, if you share that with colleagues, you can help and you do that vice versa, mm -hmm. you can help each other to, um, uh, understand one another better and you can help bridge the gap towards how do we collaborate with one another? Because that's the second step that I then take. So if you have 15 people in a group and you have 15 user manuals, they're bound to be 15 different user manuals. <laughs> right. And, uh, but, but how do you then collaborate? You cannot build on 15 different personal preferences and collaborate. So, so you need to work with one another. But if you work with one another, defining how you want to collaborate in, in new ways than you were used to before, and you don't have anything to, to grasp on. So what, what's best for me, right? It's bound to end up in endless discussions about this is my preferences and that's yours. And, and, but if you um, make that more explicit, write it down and talk to one another about that and well, move a bit towards people's, uh, other people's preferences. So if this is your preference, I can live with that too, but this is very important to me time wise or tool wise or whatever that may be. So you can work with one another and, um, and come up with, well, your, your group agreement, team agreement, team contract, whatever you want to call that. So if anyone is interested in the, the concept of user manuals. Put a ping in the comment section. 
let me know and I'm happy to share mine publicly so you can see an example of how I created my user manual. Great. Love that. Love that. Um, what are some tools you're, you're seeing emerge in the collaboration space right now? I have some favorites, but I want to hear what you say, and then we can <laughs> then we can do a battle of the tools. Yeah, you know the interesting thing is, and interesting you can use that word in, in multiple ways. Of course, I've had almost no clients in the past three or four years who did not have the Microsoft three six five suite, and uh, that has its ups and downs and pluses and minuses again. So. The toolset that I tend to use with my clients is Office 365 or Microsoft 365. And every once in a while, there's someone who has the Google suite. Um, at least that's the, the case in the Netherlands and in Belgium. So that's not easy because the tools are not always the best. They're not always the worst either. So um, don't get me wrong. Um, but that's um, those are the, the, the boundaries that I tend to work with. However, I feel that Whichever tool you pick, the tool is not the end goal of the collaboration. It's a means to an end. So it's a tool. It's a tool, exactly. Yeah. So, but it's, so you need good tools, needless to say, but you need to have agreements with with yourself, with one another, and within the company to um, to really make sure that you use the tools for what they're created for. And if you do that, it's not a matter of it does, it's not that it doesn't matter which tools you pick, but it makes it less of a, um, a less of a problem. So, uh, so I'm, I'm a Google guy, so I'm not going to get into the Google Microsoft conversation today. I, I'm strongly opinionated, but, but I'll let that go for now. But, but I do agree with you. Use what you have, right? If you have a tool and people know how to use it, maybe it's not worth making an investment in something else. I've seen too many organizations have too many tools and, and nobody in yeah. the organization using those tools. Exactly. So, so I love your point there, but one I wanted to throw into the mix, just because I've absolutely fallen in love with it um, the, the last couple of months is Mido. Mido or Miro, I'm not sure how you, how you pronounce it, uh, but a digital whiteboarding tool. Yeah. And we use it for everything at Bellico now. Uh, I do my one-in-ones in Miro. Yeah. So, so we have a shared board and people will come in prior to the meeting, put things on the agenda. We'll Great. draw out kind of our, our value maps on that. So it becomes a very visual way of collaborating when we're not in the same room. And we do lots and lots of brainstorming in it as well. And we do documentation in it. And for me, being that whiteboard guy, I have found something that's better than than an actual whiteboard now. Uh, at Absolutely. least for me. At least for yeah. me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've used both Mural and Miro, Miro, whatever you want to call it. They, they differ in details, but they're basically the same concept. And I think they're both very good. Other alternatives from any software suite aren't, aren't, aren't even touching 5% of the capacity that they have. So uh, whenever I work with clients, if you want to do, if you want to work with a proper digital whiteboard solution, pick either, yeah. but not the one you already have, because they're not at, at any level good enough to, um, to, really, to really do what you just described. So I think there's absolutely a, a, um, a business case for having such a tool and using it often. I use it mostly in, in workshop settings, so uh, online workshops with my clients, uh, journey mapping or uh, vision sessions or strategy sessions or whatever. So you, you just, you have the ability to prepare, 
to, to really prepare uh, in, 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 a, uh, in a good way, uh, have people do some work prior to the session if you want to, or just uh, have a live session as well. And um, uh, uh, what is great too, is that if you have all those post-its, you want to work with the post-its, yeah. you don't need to take pictures that you afterwards, you can't really read well and, and uh, do your manual labor to, to type them in, in any uh, other tool or a spreadsheet or whatever you want to do, uh, but you just copy the stuff. Uh, and, and paste it in wh whichever application you want to use. We, we did just that um, last week with the entire Bellico team. We met in person in Stockholm. We had 20 people in the room, but we were still working in digital tools in yeah. Miro. And, and a couple of things I noticed. The first one is that people who don't usually take space got space. Oh, wow. Well, so instead of having to go up to a whiteboard, maybe being shy, not wanting to, right. to stand there and have an opinion, right. because you're doing it, in your own little tool with your own little notes, posters, everybody got, got to be so much more involved. And the Great. second one, as you said, it's already documented, right? We, we don't have Great. to take pictures or do any follow-up work. That board just lives on forever and people are using it. Great. Great. You mentioned another topic. We talked about communication. We talked about collaboration. You also, yes. also said service. Is that right? Right. That is right. So, so around, well, basically any job there's things that I call digital services. And that might be, how many days off do I still have for this year? Mm. I paid some travel. Uh, what's the English expression for that? So expenses? travel expenses, travel expenses, that's the word. So I need to claim some expenses. I need to book a meeting room because we have some people in the office for a meeting or, or, or session, but I need to have lunch as well. All those things revolving around the actual work that you would have to have HR for, IT, your facilities management or building maintenance or, or whatever you need. So that's basically an internal digital service. Yeah. And, um, there's, there's dozens, if not hundreds of tools for that. So your HR tools or your facilities management tools, your IT uh, ticket tools, they're, they're all great, but they're, they're extra, uh, there's an extra threshold to start to go to that tool, perhaps log in, find the right page or right service that you need to have. But, but if you have the, the perspective of the employee and you want to improve that, uh, that, that experience, maybe you want to, you want to uh, take steps out of that process to make it simpler. For instance, move that to what you might call an intranet type of functionality, instead of having it in your HR system behind, behind the wall. Uh, so if you have the perspective of the employee's experience of any service, you, you have, you have something to cling on to when you want to improve that. That, that last one also makes a lot of sense to me from two perspectives. One, you talked about, there are some cool tools now that make these processes easier. I'm going to give a shout out to Playo. I am in no form connected with Playo, but expense uh, management has become fun and it used to be a nightmare. So, so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, but then you said you're going to end up with all of these different apps and people might not know how to use them or where to find them. Right. So you might get this kind of chaos of solutions. Right. And, and then you talked about intranet. And one of the things I've found for hybrid organizations, remote organizations, where people don't meet in the offices often, where, where you don't kind of get the unwritten culture and the unwritten rule, is um, the process or the practice of documenting everything. 
documenting how you do expense management, right. the policies around it. Yes, right. you play, but this is what you're allowed to do. This is what you're not allowed to do. Yeah. And this is how you follow up if something goes wrong. Document how you do um, your functional um, tasks. So, so in sales, document your sales process. Yeah. Show it with examples. Link to yeah. the uh, link to the tools. Yeah. That is something I, I've seen emerge now for hybrid organizations and remote organizations in a way I've never seen uh, in more traditional companies. Well, the interesting thing is that uh, gladly I'm still a bit too young to know that, but I think that was the personnel handbook. Mm. It, it really, in the old days, and I think seventies, eighties, maybe even nineties. The idea of the handbook has been really grabbed onto by most remote organizations in the past few years. And the handbook idea, I think, was one of the first things that moved to what, what the first intranets were. So we had this, this, this set of pages describing how to do stuff mm. and, and in uh, documenting all, all in all, uh, everything in all uh, uh, is something that you put in a handbook, in a digital handbook. So I think that, that there's, there's an opportunity for the, for most organizations to document, but not document in documents in a SharePoint library, but, but using web pages for that. And I don't care if they use SharePoint or Notion or, or a bespoke, um, uh, a Drupal, uh, based, uh, uh, internet solution or whatever, but the idea of having a starting point of the, of the digital day a gateway to the digital organization or, or whatever you want to call it, that still holds. And make it searchable, right? Because another oh, one yes. of the concepts we, we talk about a lot is async, asynchronous work, where you don't have to be in the same place or at the same time. Uh, but then you have to have methods of finding answers yes. yourself. You can't be dependent on waiting for someone else to provide right. you with an answer. So, so one of the, the theories or policies I've heard is, first, go look for it. And if you can't find it in five minutes, then it's your responsibility to create it. Yeah. The next person is going to go look for it. It's also going to go to have the same problem. But then if you right. created it, if you get that into your culture that you always yeah. document how to do things, yeah. eventually people are just going to find the right answers. Right. Yeah, that's great. That is great. And um, the, the thing is with findability is uh, first, like you said, you need to create it. You need to create it in such a way that it is findable. So if, if you just put it up there, and, and don't give a thought to how should, would people find this? How would people want to find this? Which words do they want to use? But the other part as well is if you have new policies or changed policies, take offline what was there before. Yes. Because if you have 10 years worth of, of policies and there's 10 versions of any given document of any given year, that's a hundred documents around the same policy. Take offline the old stuff in order to make the new stuff better findable. All right. We're going to start wrapping it out, Christian. Um, but what you do, in addition to, to being a, an author, you consult and help organizations improve their digital employee experience. Um, and what I do is I help organizations go from in office towards the hybrid, towards hybrid work, towards remote mm -hmm. work. What would be your top tip? For organizations who are going on this hybrid journey, what do they need to be aware of? What do they need to prepare for? And what do they need to do to, to be successful on that journey from, from a digital employee experience, yeah. experience yeah. point of view? Yeah, I think the single most thing that people can do is, is realize that they, they already have a digital employee experience. It might be terrible, but <laughs> at least there's an experience. Hmm. So, so really taking to, into, into account 
or starting with what employees experience right now. What, what's good or what is bad about the experience? And, and if something's bad, what can you do to improve it? So if you take that perspective first, the employee's perspective first, I think that's the way to go. And then, of course, you'll need to look at what's the organization's perspective, what's the technology's perspective, and what is the physical space perspective as well. But first, look at what, what are people encountering and doing in a positive and sometimes in a negative fashion. And how you can make that better, right? Right. I right. love it. Christian, we're going to put a dot at, at that point. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on the show, uh, no for problem. sharing for sharing your, your insights. I'll, I'll put everything in the show notes. Um, if you want to find Christian, if you need Christian's help, uh, I'll also put his, uh, his links in the notes. Thanks for coming on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode was brought to you by Abelico, helping companies go from in-office to hybrid aided by subscription-based furniture for your office and your home office. As always, I am your host, Kenneth Hellum, with another episode of The Future is Hybrid.